And Asa started right, but didn't finish right. And when God prospered him, his heart changed. All that wealth, all that prosperity went to his head. Sadly, that was the end of Asa. Now, we're all familiar, I think, with the first couple of kings of Israel. It began with Saul. You all remember reading about King Saul. And King Saul was quite a fellow. And he had a, a ministry of some 40 years. But he's another example of a man who, I think, began well, but then lost it. Then God chose himself another king. What was that king's name? David. King David. And David was just a, a boy in his teens. He was a teenager when God laid his hand upon him and chose him. And uh, David had a wonderful uh, career serving the Lord. And he, uh, he passed away at a ripe old age. And he had a son who took over the uh, nation of Israel. What was that son's name? Solomon, right. So Solomon, he had another long a successful journey, but there's another example of a man who began well and didn't finish quite so well because uh, he had many wives and all his wives tended to be pagan idol worshipers. There was some political um, agenda involved in that as well. He'd make allegiances with different countries and then he would take one of their uh, princesses to be his wife. So he ended up with hundreds and hundreds of these. Um, they turned his heart. And so he didn't finish too well. Now he had a son that took over. What was that son's name? Rehoboam. Rehoboam. There's two fellas you need to know about. One is Rehoboam and the other is Jeroboam. Jeroboam is the fellow who sort of helped to split Israel. When Rehoboam got installed as king the power went to his head and unfortunately that kind of thing happens he was essentially a young man with incredible power all of a sudden like overnight and it literally went to his head sadly we see that sort of thing happening today with people who win the lotto all of a sudden now they have 25 or 50 million dollars they've never had before the power goes to their heads and it ends up in um, a lot of uh, sin, um, marital breakdown, uh, family disasters, and so on. Well, uh, Rehoboam, he pushed his weight around and he split the kingdom. And Jeroboam was right there to say, all right, let's take off. Let's leave this guy. And so that's how the kingdom got split. And 10 of the tribes in the north were kind of known as Israel, and the, the lower two tribes were known as Judah. That's where Jerusalem was, and that's where King Rehoboam was reigning from in Jerusalem. Now, Rehoboam had a very colorful uh, life, and he produced uh, an heir named Abijah. And Abijah took over possibly somewhere around 38 years of age, all of a sudden, he became the king of Judah after his father, Rehoboam, passed away. Abijah uh, didn't do much good for God. He only reigned for three years. A short three years. 
and he died. And in his uh, 41 years of life, because they estimate he was about 38 when he took over the kingdom and reigned for three years, and so he died. You'll notice in chapter uh, 13, verse 1, now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, that's the fella up north, began Abijah to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. And if you go over to verse 21, but Abijah waxed mighty and married 14 wives and begat 20 and two sons and 16 daughters. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, I think this fellow was into excess. Something like maybe his grandfather, um, Solomon. So, Abijah, he... Um, about the only thing, only good thing that Abijah did was he managed to have a good son. And that son's name was Asa. And if you look at chapter 14, Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. Now Asa may have been about 20 years of age. We don't know how old Asa was uh, the Bible doesn't seem to tell us, but he was basically a good king. You know, this, this is a pattern you'll see over and over in uh, Israel's um, uh, years. From when Solomon died, there was about, uh, then the kingdom split, there was about 300 years approximately of kings in the northern ten tribes. And then they were finally carried away into captivity and then the southern two tribes had approximately another hundred years. Uh, and they had a, a few more kings. But between them, they both had, uh, I think it was something like 18 kings in uh, the northern tribes and 19 kings in the southern tribes. The kings in the northern tribes didn't seem to last very long. They'd reign for a couple of years and someone would put the knife in them. And then they'd reign for a few years, someone would put the knife in them. The kings in Judah seem to have a, a much longer reign. And again, not all of the kings in Judah were good. A lot of them were good. But I'll tell you this, in the northern ten tribes of what became known as Israel up there, they never had a good king. Never, not one. Everyone seemed to get worse and worse and worse. And just when you think, thought it, it was as bad as it could get, another king would come along and be even worse. Down in Judah, they had a number of good kings, but often they would flip-flop. Now, Rehoboam wasn't that bad, but his son Abijah was. He was, um, he was not a good man, but he produced a son that was good. And uh, you tend to get this flip-flop sort of thing. We even see it today where some bad families seem to produce some good children. And some good children seem to produce some, sorry, some good, good families seem to produce some bad children. You get it both ways. And why it is like that, well, that's up for debate. But uh, sometimes that's just the way it is, it seems to us anyhow. And so Abijah, he fathered a son named Asa. Now the name Asa, or some pronounce it Asa, uh, means a healer or physician. That's what the name means. That's a pretty good name. Um, physician or healer. 
And he ends up here being the great-grandson of Solomon. And so I'd like you to follow in your Bible as I read a few verses in chapter 14. So we see that uh, in verse 1, Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet ten years. And so for the first ten years, the land was quiet. There wasn't any war going on. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now I want you to notice something. For he took away the altars of the strange gods. It was Solomon who allowed all of these pagan wives of his to put up these strange gods. And then it became sociably acceptable. It was the politically correct thing to do. To open the doors and invite in uh, people with their, um, their, their pagan gods. That's what was happening in Israel. And God made it very clear, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That was very, very clear. Solomon, he destroyed that commandment, didn't he? And he opened the floodgate. And so throughout all of the southern two tribes of Judah, there were all these pagan gods and goddesses. And so Asa really got on the bandwagon. He got on a crusade and he was going to rid the land of all of the uh, pagan gods and goddesses. And so it says in verse 3, he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Not only did Asa get rid of all of these pagan idols and pagan gods, but he commanded the people to get right with God. Now, this sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? It sounds like he's doing his job as a king. Verse 5, also he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images. Now, the high places were simply uh, an elevated spot where people would go to, uh, to burn incense um, Usually they would stick these pagan gods up there and they would burn incense to those gods and also perform sacrifices as well in these elevated places. And so he went about to take them all away and the kingdom was quiet before him. And so there's some blessings right there is peace. The God of peace. Hmm? That's shalom for you right there. Verse 6, And he built fenced cities in Judah. For the land had rest, and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. The fenced cities were like fortified. So as a king, he went about strengthening his kingdom with military. And all this is good, it's proper. Verse 7, Therefore he said unto Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Now, Take your pen or pencil, and I'd like you to underline these words here at the, uh, that we're about to read in verse 7. Because we have sought the Lord our God. Underline those words. That is the bottom line. That seemed to be the, um, the theme and the chorus of Asa's life at this point. And he's still a young man, and he's seeking the Lord. 
And so he's encouraging all of uh, Judah to do this. We have sought him and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And see how that goes together. Seeking the Lord, building and prospering. When we build uh, without seeking the Lord, we won't prosper. Oh, we may prosper in a few worldly goods for a while, but we won't have peace. We won't have the blessing of God. God promises us. He says, the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow to it. People who get rich without the Lord, they get sorrows along with it. Paul cautioned about this, about people who are uh, trying to be rich. They that will be rich, he says uh, in Timothy, they uh, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. People who push for the money, push for the money. Please don't envy worldly people that, that have a lot of money. Millionaires and billionaires. And there's a lot of them. Millionaires are so common now. You're tripping over them on just about every street corner. Billionaires. There's a lot of thousands of billionaires in the world. Imagine that. And some of them are, uh, their, whole, their whole idea in life is to get more. Whatever they got, it's not enough. It's never enough. They want more. I got a billion, you got a billion, I'm going to get two billion. You got two billion, I'm going to get four billion. And they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And now there's men who are worth over a hundred billion dollars. They have more money than they could possibly spend in a lifetime. They will not live long enough to spend that kind of money. And so here we see all of the good that Asa did. And I want you to see now how he prevailed as well in verse 8 because God made him prosper. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows 204,000. So we're about we're over half a million. We got over half a million here. All these were mighty men of valor. Verse number 9. And there came out against them Zerah, the Ethiopian, with an host of a thousand thousand. Now how many is that? How many? A million, right? That's a big army. Here is Asa with 500,000. Here's Zerah with a million. Asa had armed men only. He didn't seem to have chariots. Zerah had 300 chariots. That's what it says here in verse 9. Now, here's what I want you to see. And it required faith. Remember, Asa is looking to the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. He wants to live his life for the Lord. He wants to do what's right. Verse number 10. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the, in the valley of Zephathah. Uh, at Merasha and Asa cried here it is in verse 11 watch this this is incredible this is faith this is trust in God and Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said Lord it is nothing with thee to help whether with many or with them that have no power help us O Lord our God for we rest on thee and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. 
Let not man prevail against thee. That's quite a prayer. It shows quite a bit of faith. You know, in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, we're given pretty much the, uh, uh, the victory hallway of faith. And we've got men and women lining the hallways and the stories of their exploits and so on by faith. Down through the years of the church, 2,000 years of church history, we have the same. Great, great men and women who've done great things and they've done them by faith. Well, here is the acid test here. When your back's against the wall and you're outnumbered two to one, plus they have weapons that you don't have. Now, betting men would bet on um, this man Zerah and his million and his 300 chariots. And they use chariots just to plow right through the enemy. And they'd kill hundreds at a time. Uh, and he had 300 of these things. You do the math. And really, Zara should have been the winner. The odds takers, the odds makers, would have put the wise money, the smart money, on Zara. Who's going to win this battle? Well, it's not going to be the uh, Asa with his, uh, his uh, 500,000. It's a great army. But here's a greater army, a better army. They're equipped and they've got... Technological advantages that Asa did not have. And so Asa did the right thing. And he cried out to God. And watch what happened here. Verse 12. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them unto Gerar. And the Ethiopians were overthrown. And they could not recover themselves for they were destroyed before the Lord and before his host. And they carried away very much spoil. And so not only did God allow Asa to win the battle and he shouldn't have won. He should have been destroyed, but he won. And God allowed it because Asa cried unto him. And I think the people cried unto the Lord as well. But also they were able to bring back a lot of the spoils of war as well. And so this just increased their wealth. It was, it was really incredible what happened here. They prevailed in war where they should have lost, they won. And the secret of the battle was they cried unto the Lord. They depended on God. I hope we can all see that tonight. That is absolutely essential for you and for me. We go out into the world. Listen, when you walk through the doors of the church, you're entering the mission field. You are in uh, hostile territory. You're behind enemy lines, so to speak. This world is the devil's playground. And we're in a battle for the souls of men and women. You know, the Lord Jesus, talking about his church when he was on earth, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's warfare right there. You and I are involved in spiritual warfare when we go to work or we go to school or sometimes even into the shopping center. Once in a while, you may meet someone brand new, maybe at work or school or in the neighborhood. You might meet them. You've never met them before, but instantly they hate you and they don't even know you. What gives? How can that be possible? That's the spiritual warfare, beloved. 
Only the devil can do that kind of thing and introduce some kind of you know, evil spiritual chemistry there. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. It's true, it's true. And so Asa got his victory by crying unto the Lord. And so um, we'll pick up in chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. Now this is after the battle, and they'd come back with all the loot. And said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. Those are the two lower tribes that made up Judah. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they, in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries, and nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. Be ye strong therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Again, your work shall be rewarded. It's important that we, as born-again men and women, realize that we have a job to do. We, we have not been saved to sit back. We have been saved to serve. It's very important that we understand this, that no matter where we are, we're in the mission field, no matter where we are, there's work to be done for the Lord. And the Lord calls upon us to do this. Paul encouraged the Christians at Corinth he said in chapter 15 and verse 58, he, he told them, well, in fact, why don't we look at that? Let's take a look at that together, shall we? Keep your place in Chronicles. We'll be back. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. I remember when I was in Bible college, the church that I was attending in the city of London, Ontario, the pastor of that city shared this verse and telling us, a number of times when he felt close to quitting the ministry, God encouraged his heart with this verse. 1558, 1 Corinthians 1558. Read it together with me, please. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is a powerful promise of God. Um, Brother Carl, when you and Cassie get to Saskatchewan, uh, Ms. Roman, when you get to Ethiopia, the time is going to come. Um, perhaps time and time again it will happen where the devil will try to discourage you and say you're doing no good or the work is too hard or people, their hearts are too hard, they're, they're not going to listen and you feel like quitting. King David himself at one point in the psalm said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove, then I'd fly away and then I'd be at peace. There may come times where people um, take up uh, strong words against you. 
and try and uh, force you out of uh, serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I learned that when I was still in Bible college and 40 years later, it is still servicing me. It is still encouraging my heart. Now, you don't have to be in the ministry to apply 1 Corinthians 15, 58 to your heart. Sometimes, just as a, a Christian trying to let your light shine, the devil is trying to pour cold water on you and maybe someone will tell you, ah, shut up. Ah, why don't you get out of here? Why don't you move out of town? And you know, some days you feel like doing it. Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And here, back in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 7, Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Wow. That's good stuff. That's very encouraging. And so here, Azariah, the son of Oded, came to meet Asa with these encouraging words. Asa, you're doing great. You're serving the Lord. Keep serving him as long as you seek him. He will cause you to prosper. If you forsake him, he'll drop you. But keep on serving the Lord. And so verse 8, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin. There he is back to his, his first job uh, that he was doing in the first 10 years before this war, is he was ridding the land of the abominable things and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And so there he is again, serving the Lord, making the land clean, getting rid of the abominable things. If there are abominable things in your home, they need to go. You need to get rid of them. If there are things that give more glory to the devil and to the world and to the flesh, you need to get rid of those things. Things that are not honoring to the Lord. You need to replace them with things that are honoring to the Lord. Sometimes uh, maybe one of the, uh, a young person will get saved and they'll, they'll have all this baggage from the world and all this music, this wicked music they've been listening to and they're kind of hooked on it. You know, music will do that. Music can kind of get into you and kind of hook you. And bad music can lead you the wrong way. And so what do you do? What do you do? You've you got to get rid of it. But what do you do? You replace it with good music. Whatever bad thing you take away, you replace with something good. And so Asa seemed to be doing that sort of thing right here. And so... Um, Let's see, for sake of time, we'll just jump down here to verse um, uh, 12. And actually, no, I want to point out to you something here first. Verse number 9. It says, And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of, and then he starts naming the northern tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and out of Simeon, for they fell to him, meaning they, they, they flocked to Asa, out of Israel. In abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And so here in verse 9, many people from the northern tribes which had essentially departed from God, many of those people saw what was going on. It was like revival. And they uprooted and they moved south. And they were coming by the droves. And of course that made the king up there in the northern ten tribes very, very angry. 
And so, um, verse 12, it says, They entered into covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. There's a good covenant. Wow. So, uh, we need to move on here. We just pick up in verse 17. It says, uh, The high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was perfect all his days. And so we get into chapter 16, and Asa may be 56 years of age at this point. We don't know for sure. But in the 6th and 30th year of the reign of Asa, and so if he was 20 when he started, 36 years later, he's now 56. Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. I told you the, the king, Jeroboam is now gone, Baasha is on the throne, and he's angry to lose all these people to the southern tribe of Judah and good king Asa, and so he sets up a fortified city to stop the hemorrhaging of people. He doesn't want to, it's like setting up the Berlin Wall sort of thing. He didn't want to lose any more of his people. He may have had some very nasty ideas of trying to attack uh, Judah as well. And so, um, uh-oh, we have a problem. I mentioned to you that some men start well and they, they just do a crescendo. But you have to finish well. Asa didn't finish well. He started well, but then he changed. He'd enjoyed... 36 years as king. He'd prospered. He was rolling in money. People adored him. He was almost like a rock star. It now went to his head. Because now, you see, uh, verse 2, Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord. He took God's money, is what he did, out of the king's house, and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria that dwelt at Damascus. And so he sent to Syria, way up north, to Damascus, to Ben-Hadad, the king. And he made a league with him. He said, I'm in trouble. He said, I want you to come and attack Israel, these northern ten tribes there. I want you to attack them for me. And he paid all this money. He says here in verse 3, There's a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they smote Ijon and Dan and Abelmaim and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass when Baasha heard it, that he left off building Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa, the king, took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha was building. And he built therewith Geba and Mizpah. So he grabs the spoils. He takes the timber and stones and does this. And so the problem here is he didn't trust the Lord. He trusted the Lord when he was up against Zerah and his million men and 300 chariots. But now he's rich and he's popular and he doesn't trust the Lord. 
He's got a battle. He's got a problem. And he doesn't go to God. He goes to man. He is trusting in his money more than he's trusting in God. And this is a huge problem. And God sent a prophet to rebuke him. Look please at verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. Now, take your pencil. This is the famous verse. Underline verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. He didn't trust God. He trusted in his money. He trusted in his political connections. He didn't go to God and trust. He did that when he was smaller, weaker, younger, poorer, more godly. He cried out to God, but 36 years have gone by. God has given him a long reign of peace and prosperity. And now this thing happens and it's small in comparison with Zerah and his million men. This thing is small. But Asa's heart has changed. He's gotten full of himself. He's trusting in his, in his worldly wealth. And so he didn't trust the Lord. And this isn't good. So God, in his love, sent one of the prophets to rebuke him. Asa should have accepted the rebuke. He should have said, you're right. I goofed. I need to get right with God. He should have done that. But he doesn't do that. He got angry. He gets very angry. Verse 10. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house. For he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. So there were some good people that felt that what this preacher was telling the king was true and that the king needed to get right with God. These were good people in his kingdom. Asa not only persecuted the preacher, Asa persecuted his people as well. So he's really out of his mind, I think, if you, if you ask me. And you cannot do that and not reap consequences. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. God, in his love, sent a rebuke. Asa got angry and grabbed the preacher, threw him in jail, and then started persecuting some of the other righteous citizens of his country because they they were with that preacher. They thought the preacher was right. You can't do that and get away with it. Asa is really... Kind of out of his mind here. And so, verse 12. And Asa, in the 39th year of his reign, now a couple years go by, was diseased in his feet. 
huh? until his disease was exceeding great. Now here's a man whose name means physician. His name means healer. And in a, in a way, he brought a lot of health to the nation. But then his heart got lifted up, his head swelled up. He had all this money and prosperity, and he stopped trusting in God. And so he did what he did, and God rebuked him. He didn't receive the rebuke, so God judged him. That's what happens when you don't receive the rebuke. God judges. And so he got sick, really sick in his feet, a disease so bad. Some people do get disease in their feet. So bad they can't possibly walk. They cannot put any weight on their feet at all. I have some neuropathy in my feet. I can walk short distances, but I can't walk long distances anymore. This is as a result of my diabetes. It, I think that's how I got the neuropathy. But that's another story. Here, Asa, instead of going to the Lord about the disease in his feet, he turns to his physicians. You see this in the end of verse 12? Yet in his disease he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. He sought not the Lord. He didn't go to God and say, God, why is, my, why is this, this happening, the disease in my feet? If it's because of my sin, I repent, Lord. Would you please heal my diseased feet? He should have done that. I think we ought to always do that with all of our things. I know I take my neuropathy to God. I take my bad back to God as well. And a few other aches and pains that I have. I bring those before Him. <clears throat> but God sometimes allows us physical suffering for a reason. I'm going to preach about that in about two Sundays or something like that. Two or three Sundays. I've got a sermon. I'm going to preach on that. But here, Asa sinned. God judged him, and he still didn't go to God. He still didn't seek the Lord. But instead, he sought his physicians, and his physicians, I'm sure, were good men, and they did everything in, in their human ability to try and help. But there was, the end of the, the day, there was nothing they could do. And so, um, God finally killed Asa. Maybe Asa would have lived longer, had a, a happier, peaceful reign. I'm not sure. But his disease got so bad, it was putrid in his feet. And so when he died, it says in verse 14, And they buried him in his own sepulchres, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and laid him in a bed which was filled with sweet odors and divers kinds of spices prepared by the apothecary's art. They had to put a lot of perfume on his body because the putrefication was that bad. Uh, we're not talking about stinky feet. We're talking about something far, far worse. That it was, it was, it was so bad that people were actually afraid of, of getting near him. It was that bad. So we need to wrap up the story here. By the way, um, Asa ended up having a, a good son, Jehoshaphat. In chapter 17, verse 1. He was a, a good king and he started reigning, reigning about 35 years of age. He had a good reign, a good king. But here's the bottom line. Not only must we start right, we must finish right. 
and Asa started right but didn't finish right. And when God prospered him, his heart changed. All that wealth, all that prosperity went to his head. Sadly, that was the end of Asa. And that'll be the end of us. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. We are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean unto our own understanding and in all our ways to acknowledge Him and He shall direct our paths. Asa started good, but he finished bad. So let's learn a lesson here. We've just come through COVID as a world, as a nation, as a city. We've come through COVID. It's changed the landscape. Some are not encouraged to get back to what they were once doing in serving the Lord. If you had a ministry, I encourage you to get back to it. Uh, there may be some who um, decided not to come to church because it's too hard. It's easier to, uh, to stay at home. There, I think our people like that in the world. I don't know if there's anyone like that connected with our church, but I know that there are people like that in the world. COVID has, this is what the statistics are saying, the published statistics, that something like 20, 25% of, of all churchgoers are not going to church anymore because it's just too much trouble. It's easier to stay at home. COVID has changed the landscape. We need to finish well. We need to get back in the saddle. We need to get back to what we were doing. This fall, we want to get back into our soul-winning program. We want to get our Sunday school started. We want to get our bus ministry running again. We've just recently got our nursery and our ushers up and running again. We're getting our sound booth um, uh, more in um, uh, back to the business of having real people here. <laughs> Before, it was an empty auditorium with the COVID restrictions. Now, you know, we have live bodies here. So we need to get back to what we were doing. Folks, we need not only to start well, we need to finish well. Amen. Let's pray now. Our loving Heavenly Father, this man Asa, and he was a great man really for the better part of his life, but right near the end, the last few years, four or five years, Lord, we don't know what happened to him in his head, in his heart. It just seems like the money, the popularity, he thought he was bulletproof. He thought he, could, he was above the law. He could do whatever he want, maybe. But he sure didn't finish well. And it sort of left a bad taste. Dear Heavenly Father, help us who know you, love you, help us to finish well. One day Jesus will call us home and then it'll be over. And we'll never have another struggle again with the world, the flesh, and the devil. It'll be wonderful. But it hasn't happened yet. So help us to hold the torch high. Help us to get back in the saddle. Help us to do those things that you've called us to do and to please you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Amen.